this. Okay. I wanted to get started. Yeah. Oh, good point. Good point. Oh, sorry. That, that, that's a really good question. And in fact, Helen uh, Christopherson, if you read the talk, he went on to address that because that is a little bit confusing to have Brigham, the prophet, standing in front of a group saying this, and it turns out it wasn't really the Lord, that was really me. Uh, and part of what he says, I think answer number one to that is, you're exactly right. You look at, uh, I, I can show you several examples where brethren have said things in conference, and by the time it gets to the enzyme, it's been changed a little bit. So they're able to actually, and Joseph Smith did that, by the way, in his revelations. He would give it, and then when they got ready to print it, he'd go, now that was me, and that was me, uh, this was the Lord. And so I think by the time it gets to the ensign, by the time it gets to manuals. The other one that Elder Christopherson talked about is there's a general sense among the people that when a prophet isn't speaking as a prophet, there's a general sense of everybody that goes, this doesn't make, this isn't quite connecting, there's something here. And then later on you'll see themselves, you'll see the prophet correct it or change it. Um, yeah, the Apostle Paul did the same thing. <laughs> yeah, Apostle Paul had a few of his own opinions that actually ended up in the sacred writ. That, by the way, when Joseph went back and translated, suddenly he changes a few words and you go, oh. So we don't know if that was Paul or if that was who was taking notes or even if it was Paul, certainly by the time we get the translation, which is going on at this period of time that we're studying. Yeah, yeah. But, they, but also, they may be speaking for themselves and be right on. Yeah. I think th it always kind of rubs me wrong when we always say, and when they're speaking for themselves, everybody gets feeling that they're wrong. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, I think that the most did, did you know, I'm kind of at the point. When they speak for themselves, yeah. they speak with the power of the Holy Ghost, even though it's not being their calling, and it's right on. See, if the Lord came to me, if, if, if Chris Watson came to me and said, uh, I think you should buy a Buick. <laughs> and even if it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, I would buy you. <laughs> because part of my sense with that is, is that I also believe that I would be blessed if, if it turns out he was speaking to himself and I followed it. I don't. I, 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 you know, I'm not going to be condemned. That this kind of works. That's why I'm a happy sheep and, and following these things. Okay. Uh, I just thought I'd throw this in. Little known fact from the World Cup that. that uh, Happened a while back. Uh, you may not have uh, known this. Remember in the uh, World Cup, they had those Zubulas or whatever they call those things? They blow those things, make lots of noise. Yeah, what you didn't know was that. I don't know how to explain that. Could be Photoshop. <laughs> For all I know, Moroni was a fan of Nigeria in the World Cup. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of fascinating. <laughs> okay. And for those of you listening on tape, you'll have to get the PowerPoint and look at the first and second slide. Okay. 
Let's uh, let's go ahead and get started. There is a boy. There's a lot here. You remember in the Old Testament where where we get that moment where the children of Israel are going to kind of come out. They need to be taught the law. They go up to Mount Sinai, and here comes the law. And they're going to get the law. This is how you govern yourself. This is Mount Sinai. We're about to do. This is the modern version of Mount Sinai. They're about to get the law. That's why you're going to see in 41 and 42, you're going to see this long list of, here's the law, here's all of the things you're supposed to do, and you're going to say, this sounds familiar. Yeah, this is the law. And he's going to give the law, and then he's going to give some additional things. We'll spend a little bit more time on the additional things than we're going to spend on the original. But I I thought I would, if, if for just a moment, if you take a look at the heading, go back to section 41 for a second. And, and pull up the heading for this. Okay. So I'm want to start with Revelation giving through Joseph Smith. We got it. Yep. Revelation giving through Joseph Smith Prophet to the church at Kirtland, Ohio, February 4th, 1831. Kirtland branch of the church at this time was rapidly increasing in number. Okay, now remember, what was happening here is that everybody had said, go to the Ohio. If you're in Fayette, if you're in uh, uh, Harmony, wherever you are, gather. So now they're, they're all showing up in Kirtland. Now let's have this meeting. So now they're here. They're ready to be taught. Okay. Now Kirtland in and of itself, remember, one of the reasons why the church doesn't in size... Oh, by the way, I need to do a disclaimer. Um... In the early days of the church, we actually had two bishops with two stores. Newell K. Whitney in Kirtland, Edward Partridge in Missouri. Last week I told you that Joseph showed up in Edward Partridge's store. He would have had to go to Missouri to do that and it wasn't built yet. It was the Newell K. Whitney store where he walks in and he goes, uh, thou art the man. Kind of thing. So I, I, I'm, so I need to do this thing. Okay. All right, so now, in Kirtland, you've got all these people gathering. You've got a group of people that were called the Brethren that were the early uh, foundation for the Campbellites. And Sidney Riggin was one of the three founders of the Campbellite Church. Okay? Uh, so they were already there, but they had some beliefs about how the Spirit worked. We're going to talk more about that next week when we get to Section 45. What weird things they really were believing, but they believed it. Okay? So listen to this listen to this phrase now by Joseph Smith about these people. Okay? Prefacing this revelation from the prophet wrote. The members were striving to do the will of God so far as they knew it. Though some strange notions and false spirits had crept in among them, and the Lord gave unto the church the following. Okay, isn't that awesome? Listen to that phrase. The members were striving to do the will of God so far as what? They knew it. Does that sound like us? You know, when we're trying to beat up on ourselves, really, really, if we're taking a look at ourselves, aren't we striving to do the will of God so far as what? We know it. It's one of the things that always strikes me about the hearts of Latter-day Saints. We may not be perfect, we may make mistakes and we may not be parenting as good as somebody else and we may have problems with this and we 
wish we had done this differently in our calling, or we wish we'd said this different to our husband, or, or whatever. But at the end of the day, aren't you striving to do the will of God as far as you know it? You learn more, you change what you're doing, and I just think it's a beautiful expression of, I mean, if, if you're a perfectionist and you're struggling, how, how, much, how sweet is this doctrine? I'm doing the best I can. Now, when we look back at our lives, don't we get just a little bit discouraged by what we've done in the past? And the question is what? How in the world did I think that was okay? Or why did I do that under those circumstances? And the answer is, it made sense at the time, right? <coughs> and you look back on it now and your heart just sinks. And you go, at the bed, there were decisions that I made based on the knowledge I had at the time. But even in the gospel, they always said, we're doing the best we can as far as we know. So, comforting? Yeah. Cool. That's these things. And they really didn't know very much. Oops, wrong one. All right, now in conjunction with that, I want you to hop over. Because the question ends up being then how are we going to know it? I'm doing the best that I can. Uh, talked to a, uh, a beautiful person not long ago who was worried about some lying that had occurred in her life. And my, my sense of her is that she's an honest person. And one of the ways that I know that when we do something contrary to our nature, that even though it's wrong, the sense that the, 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 the way to tell us how do we react to that. It's similar to the, to the young man that was in my office with a pornography problem with tears running down his face and I can't believe I looked at that stuff again. And I, I must just be horrible and awful. I kept trying to say, why, then why, if you're so awful, why are you crying about the fact that you looked at the pornography? What does that say? It's that I, I hate doing that. I know. What does that say about who you are and your nature? If you're a dishonest person and you lie, does it bother you? No, it doesn't. If you're an honest person and you lie, it bothers you because it's contrary to your nature. Okay? And that's kind of what we're going to get to here. So look over at section 4261. Thou ask, thou shalt receive revelation upon revelation, knowledge upon knowledge, that thou mayest know two things. What? The. the uh, you're going to know the mysteries, and we define mysteries as 
things that just haven't been revealed yet, right? And just a reminder, are we supposed to stay away from mysteries? No. We're seeking after mysteries. What do we, what do we stay away from? The mysterious stuff there's no answers for. Whether the pearly gates are back and forth or up and down. Okay? Whether we can go back and forth between the celestial and terrestrial kingdom, whether people we don't know. But the mysteries, he intends to give you the mysteries. Now, if you're going to seek knowledge upon knowledge and you're going to ask questions, he says you will get mysteries. And, and I love this term. You're also going to get what? The peaceable things. Oh. As Cindy and I were driving, this was one of those questions. It's like a stop. Wait. What are the peaceable things uh, that he's referring to? I don't know that I necessarily came up with an with a answer for that. Anybody have any ideas? Peaceable things. Well, there's two ways to read to read the scripture. One is one is one is to separate and say mystery, mysteries that are things. Yeah. Peaceable things that are things. The other thing, the way to read it is that they're both mysterious and peaceable things. Boy, would work at that level because it would have a yeah. You're saying that these are mysteries that are also going to produce peace. And so what I what I found is that in my life is if somebody's telling me a mystery, I like that. I go, is this a peaceable thing? Meaning what? If it's a peaceable thing, like the mystery of, of a mother's love for a baby. Mm-hmm. I'm a guy, you know. Yeah, you don't get so the like, But the Holy Ghost can help me have a feeling for that. And that's a mystery and a peaceable and a Christ-like. 
And it is a Christ-like, it is a, it's an attribute that he has, that he brings peace to everybody around him. And certainly, we get peace. Yeah. I mean, also, peace might be contention. When I was talking to President Because we can't have contention and peace. And, and then if we use that synonym, we can also say, and you can't have contention and Christ-like behavior at the same time. I think that's, I guess, real true. Okay, so, yeah. I was just looking at it a little bit like, at the very end it says, that which bringeth he like eternal and yep. to me. Yep. There's mysterious things and peaceful things that come little by little as we go through the ordinances of the gospel, including those in the temple. And they're very individual. I mean, everyone does them, but this is something that is, you know, spirit is speaking to us individually and it brings us eternal life. Yeah, because one thing we do know about the peaceable things, one thing we know for sure, is that in, the, in this life it brings us joy, and in the life to come it brings us eternal life. These peaceable things. These Christ-like things. Lead us down that road. Okay? Now, um, I wanted to uh, invoke um, Elder Holland again from a talk that he gave a, uh, a few years back called Peaceable Things. And here's his quote. So life has its opposition and its conflicts. And the gospel of Jesus Christ has answers and assurances. In, in a time of terrible civil warfare, one of the most gifted leaders ever to strive to hold a nation together said what could be said of marriages and families and friendships. Think about as Abraham Lincoln is uh, being inaugurated and the states are already leaving the, the Union, and there's, and there's talk of war and turmoil and all of that. Uh, here's what Abraham Lincoln said in his first inaugural address. Where he's saying, praying for peace, pleading for peace, seeking peace in any way that, no compromise, that would not compromise Union. Abraham Lincoln said in those dark, dark days of his first inaugural, Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic chords of memory will yet swell when touched again, as surely they will be. By the better angels of our nature. Abraham Lincoln. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic chords of memory will yet swell when again touched, as surely they will be, by the better angels of our nature. He's, and he's trying to appeal to the better angels of our nature, which says basically who we are. And who we are is in search not of contention, but of peace. I just think that's magnificent. Okay. Oh, wrong one.
it's up in section, I guess it's 39, it, they, he defines the peaceable things of the kingdom, the peaceable things of the kingdom. Yeah, and she's saying, if you look farther on, you're going to see that, uh, that there's going to be a definition, so hold on to that for just a second. Because I think he's about he's about to give everybody the law, and the law is going to result in here's here's what it is that brings peace to men and to you and to your families, and here's your duties and responsibilities to get you there. These are literally going to be the peaceable things. So grateful. Okay. So let's look at. Let's look at section 42 then. First. Okay. I'm going to want to start with verse 1. We've got it. Okay. Thanks. Hearken, ye elders of my church, who have assembled yourselves together in my name, even Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world, inasmuch as ye believe on my name and keep my commandments. Again, I say unto you, hearken and hear and obey the law. Oh, we had there's a whole lesson there, isn't there? Wish we had time to do that one. Hearken and hear and obey. That's really the definition of hearken. Hearken is to hearken and hear and obey. When he says hearken unto me, hearken means hear and obey. Hear it, but do it. Both of those, okay? For verily I say, as ye have assembled yourselves together according to the commandment wherewith I commanded you, Okay, this one thing it's they're agreed on. What does the Lord want us to do? What's our duty? What's our responsibility? Remember all these revelations that we get to certain brethren are all they're all saying, What does the Lord want me to do? Okay, I'm about to tell you what you're supposed to do. So we're touching on that one thing. Okay? Stays? And have asked the Father in my name, even so ye shall receive. Behold, verily I say unto you, I give unto you this first commandment. That you shall go forth in my name, every one of you, excepting my servants, Joseph Smith Jr. and Sidney Rigdon. And again unto you, I uh, give unto them a commandment that they shall go forth for a little season, and it shall be given by the power of the Spirit when they shall return. And you shall go forth in the power of my Spirit, preaching my gospel two by two in my name, lifting up your voices as with the sound of a trump. Declaring my word like unto angels. Alright. Thank you. Here's the question. How can we do this? Of all the things that would bring upon us the the concern and fear and opposition of the world is the fact that we send people out on a regular basis to go bang on their doors. To go talk to them in parking lots. We are a proselyting church. We put ourselves out there. And most people say, well, I wouldn't flog my religion on anybody. And here are these guys out there doing this. And, they're, and I'm happy in my religion. Why would you want to tear me out of that one and make me want to be a Mormon? Okay? Now, can I already... Let, let me get past your, your initial answer to that one. Okay? okay? Together. Why is it that we do it? Because it's a commandment. Okay, now that that's done. One of the things that uh, President Ukor talked about uh, Saturday night in priesthood session, which, by the way, is a side note, how come they don't broadcast 
priesthood session, they do religious society. How come they don't broadcast priesthood session? Huh? Yes, thank you. When Cindy asked me, I went, duh, it's secret, you're not supposed to know. Except it's in the enzyme. There's no secret knowledge here, yeah. Yeah. So how come they don't broadcast it? It's because we would sit in our easy chair and we would flip back and forth between the basketball game and, and pre-suit session. I like this guy, Alyssa. Uh, he's kind of boring. Go back to the basketball game. It's important to get the brethren out of the houses and into the buildings so we'll listen. That's it. Okay, so President Gore, Saturday night, is going to say... Uh, which, by the way, those of you didn't, I thought this was just marvelous. He talked about how he was called as a deacon's call president. And how the branch president pulled him aside and, and taught him what he needed to do. Here's your duty. Here's the expectations. Here's the role. And he says he just walked out of there like 10 feet tall, just being great. And he's now the deacon's call president. And he said, now in truth, he says, when I look back over all the years, uh, like 50 years since that, that calling happened to me, he says, when I think back on all of the deacons that we had in my court, it's hard to count them. He says, but I think it was at least two. <laughs> and that might be a gross exaggeration. <laughs> so basically he's saying the branch president could have pulled me aside in the hallway and said, you're the, you're the deacon's court president. Okay. But he says he took time to teach him and educate him and give him the why behind his duty. What's the duty for these guys? Preach the gospel. Why? Beyond it being a commandment. Why would the Lord require... We're supposed to go find the elect, right? Can't the elect find us? We put up a church. Why are we having to rescue? The, the inactives know where our church is. They've been there. They should be able to listen. So that's why we can't have to keep putting people on it. Do not contact us. I'm tired of them bothering me. They won't leave me alone. I don't want to be there. Why are we going to even keep sending? Why are we rescuing? Why are we do missionary work? Yeah. There's something that's for our salvation. Part of it is what that does for us. I, I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah. That fun? So part of it is what that does for us. I think it's a great point. Yeah. I think as a person who's outside, how much more special it is for Heavenly Father to send messengers to that one person to declare the gospel to them. It's kind of like coming out to see the sheep and making that effort. And, and, and so I'm touched by that, unless I'm not touched by that. Unless the fact that you're bothering me at dinner time with these guys flogging their religion on my doorstep. Those that we're going to talk about those that don't have the gospel just a second as part of the law. 
But part of it is, is that we want to reach out, even though, even though they haven't been reaching out to us, we still want them to have, so we're going to go to them. Okay? Yeah? It's what the Savior would do. Part of it that the Savior did do it. So the question is, why didn't the Savior just set up a synagogue in, in Nazareth or Galilee or Jerusalem and say, come on, we're here, the sign's out, you know where to find us. And the natural man won't. Even though the natural man may have an elect spirit that shows the gospel in the pre-existence, still needs that invitation. Still needs to have somebody coming to them because that's the moment. I, that's kind of where my idea of said. No matter if somebody's ready and would accept it and be magnificent, the natural man is so surrounded them that in and of themselves they're very rarely going to do a Martin or a uh, Thomas Marsh or a party crap that says to the wife, I'll be back in a while. The gospel's out there somewhere. I'll be back when I find it. But most people are pretty rare. Yeah? I think, too, it's kind of like what you said, too. They distance themselves from it, and so they almost forget what the gospel really tastes like. And so then it requires, you know, it's helpful for somebody to kind of reintroduce that. This is what, how the spirit feels, and this is how it works in your life. And then they, like, then the light goes back on, and if nothing else, what we should be hearing here is just how powerful and pervasive the world is. Even to those that would accept the gospel or who have been in our midst, that, that Satan and the world is so good at wrapping and swirling around and blinding and, and blocking the ears of those that would hear it and accept it, that it's important that we go to them to give them the opportunity with that sense of love. Yeah. With that very thought in mind, my contribution to the question is eliminating the confusion and the improper perspectives that are in the world concerning our church, and then take it from there. Because, by the way, Lucifer's pretty good at marketing himself, isn't he? You know, in a hundred thousand different ways, he, he's teaching. He's going out to them and teaching them <clears throat> by media, by voices. By sins, by enticements, all that. Yeah. Oh, I just sometimes I feel, and I have had many friends. Um, I lived in Europe recently for a few years. You know, speaking of places where they don't need religion. No, they don't. We're not secular. We're smarter than that. Yes. Let me tell you, I have lots of discussions about that. <laughs> but I actually, you know, I, I meet people and become um, really good friends with them. I would ask them, because you know, they knew that I was very religious, that always came up but pretty immediately. A lot of times they're like, I don't even know what that is, I think it's Amish. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm not a lot. Anyway, but they just sort of like, they didn't even know they were missing anything. Right. And then, like, I had one friend, I asked her, you know, would you like to learn more? And so she'd come to a few activities, and, and at one point she finally looked at me and she's like, you know, I just feel like all of your friends are just so awesome. <laughs> Yeah, right. So, no. Which is what like the world does. Yeah, yeah she's a psychologist, you know. And it's, it's been interesting to see her slow transformations, which is still going on. That's cool. That's cool. That's not happening. Yeah. Well, I 
I just think um, El Tom Perry, his example that he shared about his friend Steve on the airplane, um, that we, because I'll get on an airplane and think, please, whoever said this, I'm not talking to you. And that's the wrong attitude, that if all the, you know, millions of members of the church had that attitude yeah. of, you know, are you all yes, no, have you, you know, have you read the book more? Well, you should, it's a great book, and we have that. Um, <laughs> attitude, just what a difference it would make. Yeah, yeah, we just don't know our influence. Yes. Which, which apostle was it that gave something of mine, and when they gave it back the next week and said thank you, he said, if you read, he said, did you read it? If you read it, you wouldn't have this response. And yeah, it was like, It was, okay. Went back and read it and took the shirt. Yeah, I don't think you read it, otherwise you're missing it. Okay. I'm going to have to set this thing longer than I... Okay. Okay. So. Here's the law. And in section 42, you're going to find 15 commandments. At least. Thou shalt or thou shalt not. Now... As, as we're going to go through here, then we're going to get down to 29. Okay. So, look at 18. Now I speak to the church. Here it comes. Here's the, here's the uh, Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. 18. 20. Thou shalt not steal. 21. Thou shalt not lie. 22. Thou shalt love thy wife with all thy heart. 24. Thou shalt, commit a, not, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. 27. Thou shalt not speak evil of... Anything new here yet? No. These are, these are the important ones, right? Thou shalt not speak evil of thy neighbor, nor do him any harm. Then look at 28. Thou knowest my laws concerning these things are given in my scriptures. How would he say that? What's he say? You know this stuff. Okay? Twenty-nine, if thou lovest me, thou shalt serve me and keep my commandments. Okay, now here's some things that weren't in the original ten. And he's about to get into them, and those are the ones that I want to spend the rest of the time on. Because I think these are unique to the law. They are other places, but he's made them part of this. By the way, this is a set of laws then they would go off to Missouri, to Zion. Here's your ruling document. You must do these things. And behold, thou wilt remember the poor... And consecrate of thy property for their support. And inasmuch, 31, inasmuch as you impart of your substance unto the poor, you will do it unto me. Here's the process. They'll be laid before the bishop and his counselors. Two of the elders are high priests. And when they're laid there, after he's received these testimonies concerning the consecration of the properties of my church, uh, they cannot be taken to the, from the church. Okay, now... Here's the part that I think really applies to us. Every man shall be made accountable unto me 
a steward over what? His own property. You ever picture that when you look at your house, look at your car, and you go, really this is the Lord's, but I've been made steward over his house, his car. How about my time? My time valuable to me. Really? Whose time is it? The Lord's. And you've been given stewardship over his time. Over his talents. You've been given stewardship over his spiritual gifts. And those are his. But you're steward over them. That's why when we get into the abortion debate, we're talking about, well, a woman should be able to do with her body without the why behind that to understand that says, no, that the body is a gift. And here's the way the Lord has directed that this body should be used or not be used. If we're here, then don't we have a better sense of what consecration is? Because in a sense, when when is con when does consecration happen? Anybody here living the law of consecration? <clears throat> Have you entered the temple? You're already there. It's just that he he has not yet directed some of the things in a very clear way to you to say, okay, the, the church needs your house. He needs his house back. Your stewardship is over this, and gonna, you're going to be given stewardship over a smaller house. But what about your gifts? For years and years, we had a wonderful man in our ward that in his youth was a concert pianist. When he decided to quit, he would never play in the ward ever again. I'm just tired. I don't want to do it. I don't want to be seen that way. He had this beautiful head at times. And other times I can think of, we would have meetings where there was no pianist there, but we just have to sing a cappella. And I was sitting next to a concert pianist who says, I don't play in church. Whose talent is that? The Lord had given him stewardship over it. He was given a gift. And choosing not to use it because of whatever reason. We have to be caught, we have to be careful of those things, do not? Okay, now I have a question. <clears throat> if this earth life is temporary, and the Lord will pay out his wages at the sixth hour, sixth hour to everybody, everybody's going to get the same, whatever call then does it really matter how much money we have? Does it really matter? Then why is taking care of the poor? Uh, let me say this differently. Why is failing to take care of the poor a sin for which cities like Jerusalem and Zarahemla and uh, Ammihah have been destroyed because they would have Sodom and Gomorrah? 
Because they would not take care of their poor, and that's enough that the Lord says, then the city will be wiped off the map. Why is not taking care of the poor a death, death penalty for a city?
So it's my job to work really hard in a way that I can produce more than I need for my family on a regular basis so that I can do what with that additional stuff that our family didn't need this month? Buy a bigger house, bigger car? No, we're supposed to save it, right? We put some into storage so we'll have food storage here and then I take the additional stuff and I put it in investments, savings, somewhere, where somewhere down the road, when I'm not in a place to work, I'm going to be able to go to that storage, that savings, I'm going to pull that out, I'm going to use it, I can take care of my family, I don't have to depend on anybody, I can be dependent, independent of everybody on earth, right? Is that the goal? And then we're going to get on people that are underemployed or not taking care of themselves or being idle, and therefore they don't have anything to rely on. So everything about us in a capitalistic society says, work hard, make more than you need, save it, store it away so you can draw on it later, so you can have a comfortable retirement. Okay? When, when, when we do our Book of Mormon cruises, I look around and the ship is full of people that make lots of money, put it away, and they spend the rest of their life cruising. Okay? Now... Is that Zion? No. No. It says work really hard, put together enough for your family, and then do what? Give the rest to the bishop who will give it out to the poor because he knows their hearts, what they need, all those kind of things. Now, and then you're going to say, okay, so that means if I look at my, will you have a savings account in, in a Zion society? With the bishop. Because when you need it, it will be there for you. Okay, you guys get that? That the savings account is not going to be something you control. There is a savings account, meaning that you can draw on something like that if you need it, right? But where are you going to get it? You go back to the Lord to get it and to His representative. That means that you have to. I mean, how many. I was talking to, to uh, a good brother the other day. And his his security and his feeling good about himself is based on what? It's money. And how about how much money is in the banking account? And if he has enough and but odd thing about that, there's never for him, there's never enough money in the account that he can finally feel safe and relaxed. I said, what, do you have a million dollars? No. What if you had a million dollars? Well, then I'd need like a million too. I mean, I, there's just not enough security in that. But we have a, but in our own individual bank accounts, in our savings account, we have no savings accounts in a Zion society because we're having to trust the Lord. Now, part of that is, wait a minute, so you're going to give that to people that aren't working. Part of Zion is, thou shalt not be idle. Idlers will not where the clothes of the workers. So we have to trust that they're doing the so they're gonna so if that's the case, why are they poor? They may be sick or unable. Sick, unable, widowed. Yeah. They serve in some way. There's gonna be some reason we're talking about that. Yeah. Uh, I think the big thing about 
got some men on. But I still have to trust. I have to trust. And that's, that's where this comes to. My faith at that point says, I have a large family. I've got a big farm. I have to know, because I have nothing in my savings account, I have to know that if there will be a need, I break my leg, uh, something happens to me, that the, that the Lord, through His bishop, will take care of my family and take care of our needs. But I have to trust that that will happen. And for a lot of us, that would be really, really difficult because we don't trust anybody. Okay? Now, all right. Let, boy, we could go on this for a long time. Um, there's a couple I really wanted to hit, though. Um, look at 40. Here's another thou shalt. wasn't in the original 10. Maybe it was in the stuff that Moses had before he had to go back and get the reduced version. And again, thou shalt not be proud in thy heart. Let thy garments be plain. Oh. It's interesting when we were in, uh, whenever we have gone to uh, Belize, uh, there is in, outside of Belize City, there's a large Amish community. And... Uh, and, and they're always at the, at the sites where we are. Um, you get a chance to go by and look at their beautiful farms and their industry and everything. These guys, are, these guys are awesome in terms of what they do. But their clothes are very plain. They're very consistent. Um, and we know, for instance, that the, we always knew that the Nephites were going bad when? when as far as clothes were concerned? Yeah, kiss of death, man. They're out of here. You can see it coming. They start wearing the costly garments. I think it's really because, again, they didn't have iPads and, and Mercedes and big houses and stuff. So the only way I could prove I'm better than you was I get to wear the clothes with all the gold, and, and you're not. Gotcha. Have to have some way to separate ourselves from one another. And boy, we could spend a lot of time on this and fashion, but we won't. Um, Now, 45, this is, this is really part of this whole, here's the law, here's what part of Zion is. And I think it really attacks us at our, at our core. Thou shalt live together in love, insomuch that thou shalt weep for the loss of them that die. Well, stop for a second. Do we really need a commandment on weep for those that die? Yeah. Without, without moving forward, haven't we got this part? Don't we do a fairly good job at funerals? I think we're, we're there. But he's going to say, weep for them that mourn. Now here comes the other part of this that I think says a lot about our hearts and where we are. More especially 
Weep for the loss of them that die, that did what? Had no hope, the resurrection. So who are we supposed to weep for? Okay. This is this is honest. Yeah. Those who don't have this Right. Now, let me let me take this a little more personally. <clears throat> when you look at Choose not to. Those are the ones that have not been or less of a hope, or you know what I mean? 
And that's why we have to go get them, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, we're trying to get ready for Zion. We're trying to get, here, here's the law. And there's some groups that we're supposed to take care of. One is the poor. One is going to be the sick. Oh, we got time. Look at 43 through 46. Whosoever among you, we have to be careful on this one. Whosoever among you are sick and have not faith to be healed, but believe shall be nourished with tenderness, with herbs and mild food and not by the hand of an enemy. If we're not careful, how do we divide this one up? Those that get well have faith. Those that don't have well stay sick. Or don't, those that don't, are, don't have faith don't get well. Okay? That's not what he's saying. At that point, there are going to be those that have the faith to be healed. Um, and you've got to go down to 48 to answer that. And again, it shall come to pass that he that hath faith in me to be healed and is not appointed, not appointed unto death. In other words, though sometimes people have faith to be healed, but the Lord says, it's my will that you stay sick. There's something going on here. Oh yeah. yeah, because we're expecting the miracle, we're expecting the, the, the healing to happen right away. Okay? Alright. Kevin. Yes ma'am. I don't understand when he said um, but have not faith to be healed, but believe. Uh, faith and belief are almost the same. Oh, okay. Yeah. They are still believers. That's right. So they have, they're believers. And the Lord hasn't necessarily appointed for you that you're going to get well. Hang on to that, that thing, because this is where we're going to finish with this. Because there is one other group that we're going to go after. One is going to be, so we got, you're going to take care of the poor, you're going to take care of the sick. And there's going to be another one that you're going to take care of, and it is the weak. Look at 52 and 53. And they who, do, who have not faith to do these things, but believe in me, have power to become my sons, and insomuch as they break not my laws... Now here comes the interesting phrase. So let's put the qualifier on it. There are those in your midst, brothers and sisters, those in your midst, who have not faith and have been appointed to them, but believe in me. They have a level of belief. They're here. They have power uh, to become my sons and daughters in so much they don't break my law. So they're obedient. They're here. 
They've got problems. They're struggling. They're in your midst. They're trying to keep the commandments, the best knowledge that they have. Here comes a specific assignment laid on the house of Israel in Zion. And that is that we are supposed to do what? Bear their infirmities. Ouch. We talked last week about be ye clean, ye that bear the vessels of the Lord. We talked about bear, that, that bearing was bearing his name and bearing uh, uh, what he was supposed to do, like the vessels of the temple. We're bearing his blood, so we're going to consecrate and bless and take care of those that need those blessings. Okay? So that's my question. How do we bear the infirmities of others? We're supposed to. And by the way, how are you going to do it? Thou shalt stand in the place of thy stewardship. How do you know that you're bearing the, the, the infirmities of others? And this is one of those thou shalt, by the way. Stupid things. 
Yes, that's who you are. Stay with the smart guy that did stupid things. And we can stop doing stupid if you can recognize that. He's still not quite sure. <laughs> Another way for me, at least in my life, with this is there's a lot of times we're put into stewardships, callings, teaching, home teaching, people that you would, first of all, never associate with. Yes. Never talk to. Oh, yeah. Never have a visit or never have visit you in your home. Oh, the Lord loves doing that to us. I can change. This means I must have like this thing. I have changed like, every couple months. I always get something new and something. Yeah. Ever since I've been married, since I've been a visiting teacher, I've never not had a change within three months. Yeah. Which, and actually, I love it because I like to go, but it's, I look at the people sometimes and I'm like, under normal circumstances, I I, that's right. Teaching me in a country where I don't speak the language, I'm like, okay. You know, it's just doing these things, but then in the end, there's no sort of things I learned from people that I thought I could not learn anything from. I, because I think what happens here ultimately is that the Lord says to us, we're going to have to bear them and not just do them grudgingly. And not just do them out of envy, but we're going to have to do them with a, a, a sense of love. And that's going to be the hard part for us. Is the change of heart that has... And I believe that we bear their, our, their, infirmities, their infirmities best as we notice our attitude towards people changing. Regardless of the choices that they have made. Regardless of the things that they've done. Regardless whether that's somebody we agree with all the stuff that they do. That we still love them and we care about them and we pray for them. Whether they're members or not. Okay? Yeah. And this is what the Lord expects of us right after that. He says, Thou shalt bear their infirmities. Thou shalt stand in the place of vice stewardship. Yeah, you're going to stand. And to stand doesn't mean I'm just there grudging it. It means I'm going to stand proudly. Or not proudly. Just keep doing what you're supposed to do. Say, 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 say that again louder, Sister Bishop. <laughs> I think you brought a good barometer of how well a board is doing in standing in their stewardship is how few calls the bishop ends up getting. That's solving difficulties at home and visiting teaching. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's all right. Yep. I could not agree more. Yeah. Okay. All right. What is the difference in In what? behind it. Let me just finish with this if I can. Um, um, 
I was asked to speak. Now would be good. Okay. I was asked to give uh, to speak in a few weeks at a, uh, a uh, graduating group of people that have been in a leadership course at a university. I got 20 minutes to be kind of the graduation speaker at this banquet for those in a leadership training course. And I've been spending weeks trying to figure out what it is that I would say to this leadership course as a final shot across the bow as they leave the college experience. And I went walking last night, and what finally came to me as I'm walking and trying to decide what would be the best thing I could say to them. Uh, the topic that I ended up choosing to speak to this university group is, I, I've entitled it, um, <clears throat> The Better Angels of Our Nature, The Role of Leadership and Kindness. I think that as Latter-day Saints, we should be the most kind people on earth. We've been the most blessed. That we should be kind to one another, especially those that stand in their infirmities while we're standing in our stewardships. That we're supposed to bear those up and bear them part of our change and our transformation and our growth is the change that occurs in us as we help and serve them. It's easy to serve those we love. It's harder to serve those that have struggled. And yet, as Zion people do that, and the people whose hearts are changed do that. So my goal, my goal for you this week would be live your life in kindness this week, and see see if life, see how life goes. For some of you, that's second nature. For people like me, I work at it, and I need that with you in Jesus' name. Just a reminder too, when you're going to come, you might remind people that we get to have an institute going on Tuesday nights. Like tomorrow night, I'll be teaching this class again here. So if you know somebody that couldn't make it here, invite them to come tomorrow night. 7.15.